pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to assemble together again in your name and ask that you would take this time and use it to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Line, wave your hand there. I think we have a few. Uh, pretty sure most of them are out. And uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Now, we are really getting involved in our outline here. We're going N through S subpoints tonight. And uh, maybe I should have broken up uh, the formal training of the disciples a little better. But uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is just get the flow uh, of the story. And Jesus, in the training of the disciples, in their teaching, this did not just happen overnight. Uh, it took a lot of time. And Jesus began uh, uh, very slowly. Uh, in fact, the first year, basically, they just listened to Jesus teach, and then Jesus sent them out two by two. And when they came back, then we got into the uh, recent series of events, starting with the feeding of the 5,000, ending there just after the feeding of the 4,000. And now Jesus is going to kind of step out of the main flow uh, of Judaism. He's going to go to, uh, even though it was in the land of Israel and had many Jews in it, Caesarea Philippi was one of the uh, main cities that the Romans used. It was a port city. Uh, that's where the governor uh, would actually sit most of the time, as we find in the Bible here. And uh, Jesus began asking a question. And I just love the way it's worded in Matthew, and we'll just start right there. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, we need to be careful here. Jesus was not borrowing from the modern thought process and taking a poll. He was trying to get the disciples to put their attention in a place. He said, listen, who, who do people say, you guys have just traveled uh, all over Galilee, people were talking about me, you were preaching in my name, you did miracles in my name, uh, who do people say I am? And I love the answers here. The first answer, of course, is John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Now, let's remember who John the Baptist was. He was the wild preacher. I mean, you talk about, uh, as they classified someone once asked, are you a hellfire and damnation preacher? Well, we do preach about it. But uh, I'm not happy about it. I've met some preachers that preach about it, and you'd almost think they were glad. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches, Amen. But John the Baptist, I mean, he thundered and everybody from Jerusalem came out to hear him. It was an amazing thing. They also said Elijah. Now, John the Baptist, in the connection with Elijah, Jesus is actually going to make that, that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of 
of uh, Malachi's prophecy that before uh, Messiah would come, that Elijah would turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers and the hearts of the fathers toward the children. But the other one is Jeremiah or Jeremiah. Does anybody remember his sobriquet? He was the weeping prophet. He was the quiet prophet. Now, I want you to to get the picture that is being painted here. Jesus was the great preacher. He was also the compassionate weeper. And they said, well, it's got to be one of the prophets resurrected from the dead. And then the famous question, he says, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, it's been interesting, dealt with many people of a Jewish heritage over the years. How does God have a son? Well, I want to know, where did Peter get that idea? Peter was a Jewish man, was he not? Peter believed all of the Old Testament scriptures. If he didn't believe the Old Testament scriptures, he certainly wouldn't, want, wouldn't have believed on Jesus. Isn't that correct? Are we still together? And we don't have time here as we're going through the scale of the story, but just want you to think about this. There are a couple of places, but let's just go to turn quickly with me, if you would, to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Chapter 30. And look at verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Now read the next phrase with me. And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Where in the world did that come from? Um, by the way, did not Jesus talk about ascending and descending? Did he not gather the wind in his fist and say, peace be still? Did he not walk on the water, the water as a garment? I mean, you, you just cannot escape the connection between this verse here and the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, Peter had no problems in saying, Thou art the Christ. Now, the, the word Christ, just so that you and I get this, is the same word in Greek as the word Messiah is in Hebrew. They are identical words. And so, the idea here is, you are the chosen one of God. You are God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He said, the Son, capital S-O-N, of the living God. Now, Jesus answered in verse 17. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Now, the word bar just means son of. 
For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this is one of those pivotal passages in the scriptures. Um, a, uh, as we believe and have always taught, a wrong understanding of this passage is the foundational cornerstone of the Orthodox and uh, the Roman Catholic churches. And in step, most Protestant churches uh, take their lead uh, from this same direction. They say that Peter is the stone upon which the church is built. Now, we don't have time to teach a whole lesson on this, but read Luke chapter 20. Jesus clearly states that he is the chief cornerstone. Read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, no other foundation can be laid than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul believed Jesus was the cornerstone. He was the foundation of the church. And read Peter. Now, if anybody ought to know whether Jesus was talking about Peter or not, don't you think Peter would know? Amen? And read his testimony in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, to whom coming? Now, if Peter were the stone, why wouldn't he say, come to me? He says, we come to him. He says, we are lively stones, living stones built on the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. You see, it's interesting that Jesus introduces his plan for the world. Here, nearing and just as he is beginning the last calendar year of his ministry, he begins explaining to the apostles about this thing called the church. Now, I know you're going to read about the church that was baptized under Moses in the Red Sea uh, in the book of Hebrews, but the idea of the church of Jesus Christ is being presented for the very first time right here. The idea that all believers would be assembled in heaven someday goes back to the Old Testament. I mean, that's, that's a thought that is there. But Jesus is now talking about building his church based upon him. And I want to challenge you, read your Bible. I probably said this too many times, but from Matthew chapter 16 to Revelation chapter 4, from Acts chapter 2, where the church was empowered, to Revelation chapter 4, you cannot find anything in the New Testament done in the name of Jesus Christ that wasn't through by or for a local church. And somebody comes and says, well, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Um, he was one of the pastors in Jerusalem. Hate to burst your bubble there, but... Uh, the simple truth was everything in your New Testament is through, by, and for a local church. God has no plan B. Uh, 
constantly phone calls, uh, things in the mail. Fortunately, Peter just chucks them all, so I don't have to do it myself. Uh, But the church is not doing the job of reaching the world. Therefore, da-da-da, ministries are here to help you. And no, the church's job never was to churchify the world. The church's job was to be the body of Christ to reach its local area with the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, just a couple Sundays ago, we spent the morning on who then can be saved. Well, number one, it's not everybody. Amen? In fact, if we follow Jesus' teaching, few there be that find it. The church was never designed to shape society. The church was designed to be a place where souls could leave society and find Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, it's a wonderful time. It was a wonderful part of world history when this nation's society was shaped by the church. When people made some decisions and said, you know, there, there's somebody bigger than government in this book called the Bible, and that every man should have the same equal right to approach that God as he sees fit. We call that freedom of conscience. Uh, the Bible calls it the priesthood of the believer, direct access to God for the individual. It's an amazing truth. By the way, historically, only Baptist people have believed that. Because every other church stood between the believer and God. And so somebody said, do you have any priest in the Baptist church? And my first desire is to go, yeah, lots of them. Everybody is. But I, that would usually confuse the issue. So I put it this way. I said, no, uh, there is no man or individual in the Baptist church that stands between you and God. That's not the job of the pastor. Uh, my job is a signpost, amen? Uh, I better be pointing in the right direction. And... The simple truth of the matter is, Jesus said the key issue, the only issue, is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what? Therefore, nobody, nothing, anything else matters. That's where the church ought to be. And yet, how many churches do we know about? I get... So tired of preachers just quoting great preachers of the past. I'll tell you, the only great preacher of the past I really want to quote a lot is Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, It is his church. And uh, sometimes I'll quote preachers that have put things in a very good way. But uh, I always make a strong differentiation. What a man says is not what Jesus said. This is the scriptures. 
And the, the built upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, no, it's not built upon the confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not built upon Peter believing in Jesus Christ. It's built upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that organic, physical, living connection to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, we got problems with people starting churches. You see, one of the reasons historians like to have the church start on the day of Pentecost is because where was Jesus on the day of Pentecost? He was in heaven. He had been there for 10 days, right? And so Luther loves a Pentecost church start because Jesus was still in heaven in 1534 or whatever it was when Luther started his church. Uh, Jesus was in heaven when King Henry VIII needed a divorce and started the Anglican church. Uh, Jesus was already in heaven when John Knox started the Presbyterian church. But it's interesting, one thing all of those men had in common is they hated the Catholics and the Anabaptists. Not necessarily in that order. Um, You see, the Anabaptists said, Mr. Luther, your Catholic baptism is no good. You don't have a right to start your own church your own way because Jesus already started his. And so you should join his church instead of starting your own. That didn't make Luther very happy, now did it? Uh, In fact, John Zwingli, or whatever his first name was, uh, the reformer in Switzerland made sure that the Anabaptist got moved into places where the Catholics would get them and put them to death. And uh, one of the great Anabaptist preachers was a guy named Balthasar Hubemeyer. How many have ever heard of him? Okay, those who've studied church history. And uh, I'll tell you what, he only lasted five years. You know why? Because he refused to seek the backing of a state to protect him. You want to know why Luther was so careful? Because he had Frederick the Elector protecting him. He was protected by an army. In fact, he was even kidnapped once and carried away and stuck in a castle and they made him grow a beard so nobody would know who he was. He didn't stay there very long, but he, that was the kind of protection that kept him from being burnt at the stake. You see, Jesus said that he would build his church. And one of the things that we're praying and asking for is that Jesus will build his church in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Amen? And use the Newburgers to get it done. Lord willing, two, three years down the road, we're going to come back and we're going to ask the Lord and ask this church to make sure that Brother Franz and Miss Sonia get started in the Bronx. Amen? I mean, we want to see churches started. Now, there's always this problem when we get here, and if if I'm not careful, I'm going to spend all night on this, and that's not really what I want to do. But 
We have individual churches that open and close down through history. When Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, we have to be careful because there are those that would like to read a universal, invisible type church into this setting. Now, if that were the case, then that church has been prevailed against and these words that Jesus spoke here are basically meaningless because churches have been prevailed against. In fact, we have churches in church buildings in this city where once the gospel was preached and they were strong, Bible-believing Baptist churches. In fact, somebody uh, printed one of the sermons of, uh, uh, of one of the pastors over here at First Baptist in Manhattan in the 20s. I'll tell you what, that sermon peeled paint off the walls. Uh, it was unbelievable. I'd never be that mean in the pulpit. I've tried a few times. But, uh, I mean, that guy was, I mean, he was just, whew. But I'll tell you what, you couldn't get the gospel there today. Well, I guess if you had a pack of bloodhounds and a division of Marines, you might find it somewhere. It's sad. Churches change. But you see, what Jesus was saying was from this moment, Matthew chapter 16, until that trumpet sounds, there will always be a constituted church serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it all started, there was only one in the city of Jerusalem. I was preaching at my brother's church, and it, it, I know this has been said many times, but it just came to me as we were, as I was preparing one of the sermons for up there about missions. Do you know that no generation has been as effective in reaching their generation with the gospel as the 12, 11 apostles were? That's an amazing fact. I mean, we have cell phones and tweets and uh, Twitters and all, all that. I, I'll tell you what. Somebody said, called up and said, we, we want to help you work up your Facebook page. And I wanted to tell them the only Facebook our church has is putting your face in God's book. But I didn't do that. Uh, I said, it's my small uh, rebellion and remonstrance to the society in which we live. I just not going social networking. Um, I don't want people looking for information about our churches, the same place lawyers find divorce information. I just don't want to go there. And if you have Facebook page, I'm not preaching against your Facebook page, all right? But I, uh, I'm not going to have one. And uh, the, the simple truth is Jesus said that he would build his church. And there has been, all the way down through history, a church, churches, that have taught this book in this book alone. That's why we use the name Baptist. Because historically, they became grouped basically as Anabaptists. Now, let me tell you something. Not all Anabaptists followed through. Many Anabaptist groups became Protestantized 
at the end of the persecution period, the beginning of the Reformation, simply because they were tired of being murdered whole scale by the powers that be. And before you and I criticize them for what they did, let's be glad that nobody's knocking at our door to drag our babies away from us because we refuse to have them sprinkled in water. And by the way, that happened here in the United States as well before the Constitution was signed. It's terrible atrocities that were done simply because they thought they had the only church. Let me tell you, this book called the Bible has never forced one soul to go to heaven. It's got to be a choice. Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. Knowing who Jesus is is not going to be found inside of you. You can only find that truth inside of this. And it's no mistake, this is the written word and Jesus is the living word. Amen? Jesus said his church would not be prevailed against, and it has not. It has continued. And then Jesus tells the disciples... Look at verse 20. Then charged to his disciples, they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, it, it's kind of interesting that Jesus charges his disciples not to explain this truth to other people. But you have to remember that Jesus was living in constant battle with the Pharisees and everything would be explained and taught in due time. And so Jesus now begins to explain and look at the reaction that Jesus gets when he explains to the disciples that he's got to suffer, be crucified and rise again the third day. Who remembers what happens immediately after Jesus Peter, the very one who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, literally grabs Jesus and says, That's not going to happen to you. And what's Jesus' response? Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You want to know why Jesus kept it quiet? Because the people didn't understand what that meant. That he was Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. They just did not have the foundation yet to understand that he would have to suffer, that he would die, that he would raise again the third day. Even the apostle Peter couldn't get it. And so Jesus rebuked Peter and then he gives us the cost of true discipleship. Now you, you look at what is being taught here, the doctrine of the church. These few verses here literally wipe out libraries and centuries of history 
of people who claim to be the true church, people who claim to follow in the succession of Jesus gave his authority to Peter and Peter gave his authority to Linus and Linus gave not the guy with uh, Charlie Brown. But uh, uh, all of these different people, Jesus did not give his authority to anyone. Now I skipped a few verses and I'll need to go back and get them. He said, I'm going to give unto you the keys of the kingdom. How many of you have heard jokes about Peter at the pearly gates? You know where that comes from? A misunderstanding of this verse right here. Do you think Peter is going to be the one that decides whether you get into heaven or not? Uh, No. Uh, Jesus is the one who decides whether you get into heaven or not. Well, what does it mean when he gave unto him the keys of the kingdom? Well, very simple. What the keys do? They open doors. Amen? Who preached the first gospel message to the Jewish people? Day of Pentecost, city of Jerusalem. Ah, key number one. Who had the key? Peter did. Who preached the first gospel message to the first truly Gentile convert? Cornelius of the Italian band, Acts chapter 10. Ah, guess who that was? Uh, It was Peter. They had a little problem there in Samaria because Philip went up and preached to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 9 and said the Holy Ghost was not fallen on any of them yet till Peter came up and started laying hands and, ah, maybe those were the keys to the kingdom. You get into the kingdom by getting saved, amen? Those were the keys. Peter preached the first gospel message to the people, groups that could be saved. By the way, if you're not Jew or half Jew and half Gentile, Samaritans or holy Gentile, you don't need to worry about salvation because you're not a human being. Amen? Uh, Those are the only biblical classifications uh, that we have in the New Testament. Now, There's another passage here that says, Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And I'll tell you what, this is uh, the... uh, Is anybody familiar with the elastic clause out of the Constitution of the United States? Uh, That is one of the phrases that they've just taken and stretched to apply to everybody and everything. They found everything from the right to murder babies to protection of privacy for homosexuals to uh, homosexual marriage to income tax. Everything is under that elastic clause. That's what they do with this passage right here. And that's where you get people running around in fancy robes and, and pounding people on the head and papal bulls and all this kind of stuff. But if you'll just read over, we won't get to Matthew chapter 18 tonight. But Jesus is giving instruction to his church in Matthew chapter 18. And then he explains to the whole church. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the simplest and most biblical definition I can give you of that is simply that is the ministry 
of the local church. How many people have walked through those doors and been set free from the bondage of false religion and serving self and sin and all of those things? And yet I could tell you the story of almost as many others that have walked through those doors and gotten upset at what we preached and how it taught the Bible and have literally bound themselves up and destroyed their lives because they refuse to believe the things that the Bible teaches. Tell you what, we don't need people going around saying, you're set free, you're bound up. Uh, It will happen automatically through the preaching and the ministry of the gospel. It's not a power that belongs to people. It's a power that belongs to this book as it is preached and as it is taught and as it is lived. And so Jesus did not advocate his authority. He did not give power to human beings to pretend that they were Jesus. He said, I will build my church. By the way, if you're saved today, who saved you? How many of you have had a problem that you took to Jesus in prayer this week? Amen? How many of you experienced the freedom that comes through obedience to the Word of God? Now, don't raise your hand. How many of you have experienced the bondage that disobedience to the Word of God brings in your life? I'll tell you what. It doesn't take much. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're obedient to the Word of God. Jesus is dealing with what man has spent centuries debating and filled libraries with books on, and he covers it here in verses 13 through 28. Wow. I'll tell you what, I like Jesus teaching theology a whole lot better than I do wading through all the books and things of mankind. And then we come to verse 24, and I'll pick up where I got out of order here. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now, Jesus was explaining what it means to be a disciple. It's not just saying, I love Jesus. Let's blow him a kiss. Uh, that happens pretty regularly on TBN, by the way. Uh, it's one of the reasons I make fun of those people. Uh, Jesus does not want you blowing a kiss. He says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you want to show Jesus you love him, don't pretend he's your boyfriend. Don't pretend all this foolishness that is out there. Obey him. Because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the issue. And... The idea here is if you're going to 
find your life in service for Jesus, you've got to give up your life. You know what? That's a scary thing to give up your life, is it not? It's a scary thing to turn over the direction of your life to a person you can't even see. Now, one of the roots of all cultism is turning your life over to a person you can see. Do you see the difference? That was the problem with Jim Jones. Uh, that's the problem with Joe Osteen. Uh, that's the problem with any one of a number of freaky deaky, whatever you want to put in there, kookamonga nutcases. Uh, somebody said, Preacher, could you be more plain there? Um, I'm trying. Uh, but how many people, how many politicians say, Turn your life over to me and I'll make it better? I'll tell you what to drink and how much to drink and what to put in your food and what not to put in your food. And Listen, it comes from a total misunderstanding of the Scripture here. Everyone wants allegiance and loyalty. Isn't that true? Who are you going to be loyal to? Jesus said, if you're going to be loyal to me, you lose your life. It becomes mine. But I will tell you personal experience. He'll do a whole lot better job with it than you ever could. And by the way, he won't have you looking at another human being. He wants you looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He wants you keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way... If you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess where you're going to be Sunday morning? In church. Say, well, wait a minute, how do you get that one? Well, Jesus said, I will build my church. The church is about Jesus. You want to worship Jesus, you're supposed to do it in the church and every day as you live, but forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. We need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He foretells his suffering. Peter rebukes him. Even if you had the whole world, if you had the riches of, who is it? Um, Buffett and the nerd that founded Microsoft. Uh, if you had all of that together, the two richest men, uh, two of the five richest men in the world, could you get one second escape from God's judgment if you gave God everything? No, if you don't give him everything now, he won't accept everything later. It's got to be now. You lose your life and you'll find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is going to do something that is very unusual. We call it the transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. We're just going to 
follow Matthew here for the next several events here. Jesus takes only Peter, James, and John with him up on top of a mountain. And by the way, this was something that happened, it says, after six days. So whenever uh, these events happen, only six days later, Jesus gathers these three disciples. He goes up to the top of a mountain, and it just simply says, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. Now, again, we don't have time to chase all this down, but why don't you take time to read Revelation chapter 1 and see if you can't get the similarities between Jesus appearing to John, the beloved disciple, and as he appeared in a glorified state here in Matthew chapter 17, there is a connection, my friend. And by the way, you can find that same description in the book of Daniel. And so, Jesus was talking with Moses and Elias, or Moses and Elijah. And again, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. And so they were actually there speaking with him. They talked about what Jesus was going to accomplish, how that he was going to be crucified, how that he was going to suffer. Uh, We read Peter's account, and he said these things are things that angels desired to look into. You know, I almost wonder if God didn't let this event happen so that Jesus could speak to someone who actually had a little bit of an understanding and a heart for the things that were about to happen. Remember what he told Peter? Peter went nuts. That can't happen to you. You're too good for that. No. Jesus said, I've got to fulfill the scripture. He let him speak to Moses and Elijah. And again, what did Peter and the other two disciples do? Let's build three tabernacles. I wonder where he got that word. Moses built a tabernacle, didn't he? At the foot of Mount Sinai, at the direction of God... It was the place of true worship of the true God. We don't worship men. In fact, God himself intervened here and spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And when they got done shaking, uh, when they got up off the ground, they could only see Jesus. You see how these events just fit like pieces of a puzzle together? He is giving the disciples their theological and their training that they will need. They need to understand one thing. It is only about Jesus Christ, nothing else. They get down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they're met by a man with an unhealable son. He's had him to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's had him to Jesus' disciples. And nobody can do anything. Jesus says, how long shall I bear with you, O you faithless generation? He says, bring him to me. Jesus takes care of the situation. The disciples say, what went wrong? You gave us the power to do this. Jesus said, "This this can come forth by nothing but by what? Prayer 
and fasting. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that when he does miracles, he's the one that does them. What we have to do is get ourselves out of the way. You know what? Jesus is still in the miracle-working business. Amen? He's not afraid to do miraculous things. But he's not going to do them as long as Visa and MasterCard can take care of it. He's not going to do them. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about going home and throwing all your pills away and saying, Lord, heal me. Again, that's the other pendulum swing of foolishness. What we're talking about here is surrendering ourselves to the Lord. That's what prayer and fasting is all about. And and so we've got two more things real quick. In Matthew chapter 17, we come down to verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Now, every commentary I read said that this is not the Roman taxes, that this was actually the temple tax. I don't know. I can't. I'm, I'm not as smart as they are. I'll agree with them. That would be interesting, charging Jesus money to maintain the temple that was supposed to be built to worship him. That'd be like charging God an entrance fee. Now, what Jesus did is he recognized a great point of real, true law and understanding. He said, of whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? Of their children or of strangers? Does the king collect, go to his sons and his daughters and collect taxes? Does he go to his own people and say, you pay Heavy taxes to support the army. No, he goes to his own people to find his leaders and his warriors and those that will support him. And he lays heavy taxes upon those whom he conquers. Is that not the way taxes work? Our founding fathers in this country said the right of taxation is the right of destruction. That's why they were against no taxation without representation. And by the way, if, British, if the British Parliament offers representation, refuse it. Because we're not paying taxes. He says, nevertheless, he says, the children are free. He said, I want you to understand something. We have a relationship with God that sets us free. I am not submitting my authority in paying these taxes. What I am doing is allowing for no offense. You see, Jesus did not, by paying this tax, surrender his authority to those people through taxation. In fact, he had one of the most unique ways of coming up with your tax money. I wish it worked this way today. He said, go catch a fish, and the first fish that comes up, 
He said, you're going to find a coin in its mouth. How would you like to be the guy that lost the coin? I wonder if he was standing around looking for that coin as Peter brings the fish up and pulls it out of its mouth. I don't that, My imagination works kind of weird sometimes. But and we'll, we'll stop right here and we'll pick up next, next time we're together on this subject. On Matthew chapter 18, as Jesus now teaches about humility. Uh, what is the key to true biblical humility? It's not laying in the dust and saying, walk on me and wear your golf spikes when you do it, please. The key to true biblical humility is understanding who Jesus is. Do you see the theme running through all of these things? Jesus is now turning the disciples' attention. He said, I want you to understand that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, but you really don't understand what you're even saying. You will. But let's just keep our mouths shut until you have enough understanding to back up what you say. Amen? And so Jesus then took them through their understanding that they needed to lose their lives. They got to see actually Moses and Elijah and realized the greatest living persons in all of history, living in heaven, brought down to earth so they could see were absolutely nothing in comparison to the Christ. The church, it's all about Jesus. Nobody or nothing else. Everything is about Jesus. Fasting and prayer, if you want power, but the power comes from Jesus, you've got to get you out of the way. Amen? And even when it comes to taxes, listen, we're not here to offend, but we're also not surrendering our authority. To the world in which we live. Because we be the children of he who created everything. Amen. So we'll stop right there as we're working our way. And I hope you can see the progression of Jesus teaching here. Let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and ask that you would open our eyes that we may see that The Bible is not about anything but you. And Lord, that you would give us grace and wisdom to understand the true meaning of these words. That we may take the truth of Jesus Christ through his church to the world in which we live. We ask you to be honored and glorified, dear Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. Ask Ashley to play a song, and if you'd like to slip out of your seat and just.